All right. Welcome to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by Brian Wells. Uh, Today we have a busy episode, mostly filled with basketball, as uh, the NBA has been front and center the past week, not only in the sports world, but uh, among the entire country. So we'll we'll talk about the latest updates from the bubble, as well as the, uh, the major events of the past week. And uh, we'll have some other topics, including the uh, big international news uh, in the soccer world with uh, Lionel Messi reportedly wanting out of Barcelona. So we got all that coming your way. So with that, let's get to it. I think at this point we can officially say we're back because uh you know we had our first episode in three months now this is our second episode so there's, there's no turning around now uh you know it's it's good good to be back on the mic for uh the foreseeable future and we'll we'll be talking a lot of basketball today so we uh we're recording shortly after the boston celtics game one victory over the toronto raptors in eastern conference semifinals. Uh, as of now, the Los Angeles Clippers and Dallas Mavericks are underway as uh, they just finished the first quarter. Uh, but before we get into any of the um, on-court basketball stuff, I think we need to address uh, everything that happened off the court because we just witnessed one of the most unprecedented weeks in sports history. Uh, you know, On Wednesday, the Milwaukee Bucks decided to boycott their playoff game against the Orlando Magic. And that led to uh, not just the NBA playoffs, but several other leagues you know, totally shutting down or at least having a lot of their games postponed. And uh, I, I think it's a really interesting historical time that we, we just witnessed. Yeah, uh, after the games were postponed, I thought for sure that we were done for good and that we were going to go on another huge pause, uh, not just sports wise, but also doing, doing these podcasts. And, but luckily the NBA has probably, no, definitely the best commissioner in sports and with Adam Silver, with Adam yeah. Silver. I would agree with that. And him and many other people were able to get together and f- figure it out and, written talk from there i mean it's such a hard topic to talk about because it's it, i don't know it's super it's just super uncomfortable just oh absolutely it's it's an incredibly difficult subject when you you talk about uh these issues that are facing you know a, a large portion of our country are facing and uh and when you talk about police brutality and the, the social injustice that black americans are facing every day and it's something that it really hits home in the sports world especially in the nba where the majority of the league is a black man who uh you know it, 
in in the eyes of many people in this country there is a perceived problem and that's something that was amplified this past week with the shooting of jacob blake in kenosha wisconsin which is right outside of milwaukee so something that really hit home to the box it really hit home to george hill who uh their point guard uh, who I guess he was the the biggest instrumental person who said, hey, guys, I don't feel like playing this game. I can't right now, like given what just happened, everything that's going on. And his teammates supported him. And from there, you saw throughout the rest of the NBA playoff games canceled. You had the Milwaukee Brewers and several other baseball teams cancel games. You had the NHL even join in, a predominantly white league the, the, uh, the, joining in solidarity. The NHL didn't postpone until the next Not day right away. but i also don't yeah. blame them for playing the games that day because the the flyers and islanders were already playing when the bucks game got postponed and the bruins and lightning were going off at 7 p.m and as they're getting dressed up and ready to play the game they're they're finally hearing about all this stuff and they didn't really have enough time to react to the situation so i don't i don't totally blame the nhl and for for not postponing until the next day and another thing is can the nhl players at least do their support what the nba players were doing and being against racism but also doing their job as well i don't i don't think they have to i think it's kind of unfair to be forced into that situation of oh you got to postpone these games right right this second or else you're definitely not with us or you're not supporting our ideas yeah i know the nhl has taken a lot of criticism uh, based on their handlings where you know other leagues like the NBA has all of the players or the majority of the players are allowed to wear messages on the backs of their jerseys they have black lives black lives matter and huge letters all across the court uh, and the NHL has kind of been like half in half out on this where you're like yeah we recognize this is a problem but from the beginning it's like okay we're going to uh, pay tribute to black americans but also you know, focusing on healthcare workers in the pandemic where, you know, that of course, like that's a, a huge thing, but the NHL has very much not been uh, as fully into this as a lot and, of the other leagues are. And it's obvious because the NBA is a very high percentage of their players are African-American, while the NHL is uh, primarily Canadians, Russians, and other European countries. So I think regardless of uh, whether or not you know, NHL players are directly affected by police brutality uh, against Black Americans. You know, based on their skin color or you know their their nation of origin. Uh, I think that there's this accepted idea now that this this is an issue in in our society, something that extends into Canada as well. And that's whether or not these players are are from. North America, you know, where, wherever, there's still a reason for them to be affected by this issue, for them to recognize this as a problem, take a stand and say, hey, we're with you, like, we're skating for you. Uh, that's a term that uh, Ryan Reeves of the Vegas Golden Knights, one of the few black players in the NHL, use. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really good idea for the NHL to be, you know, positive you know be part of the solution and not just kind of go through the motions with this so i i, I appreciate them uh, you know joining in solidarity with the nba like so many other leagues now i think the the big thing that comes out of this is realizing how much power these players have as individuals and you know, to be able to say hey we're just not going to play 
Like, you know, it, you think that this game is going to go on, but there are bigger issues right now. And it's also kind of a realization that, yeah, these athletes are, you know, they're, they're paid to play these sports. That's how we know them as, you know, famous celebrities, is as professional basketball players, baseball players, hockey players, soccer players, whatever. But at the same time, they're, they're human beings just like us, and they're affected by these issues. You know, and it's not even just as simple as, okay, well, they're all rich. Like, they all, they've all got it made. They're not oppressed in the same way. Well, first of all, Sterling Brown in the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, the team that boycotted, had his own run-in with police officers a few years ago where he was, uh, you know, considered to have been the victim of, you know, brutality and inappropriate actions by a police officer where, where he was tased. Um, and... Regardless, I mean, they, they still have family. They still have kids of their own. Like they, the, the fact that they're professional athletes doesn't necessarily make them totally exempt from this issue. So uh, I think that that's one of the big things that we're really realizing from all of this is that these athletes, it's not just as simple as saying, shut up and dribble, do your job, like leave politics out of it, because that, that's a big part of their life. And they're using their platform to you know, be the voice for those who just haven't been heard and listened to for so long. I guess the biggest thing I reflect on is, uh, do you remember back in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick decided to kneel during the anthems? Of course. Yep. Yeah. And, well, he actually originally sat down in the preseason for, at first for the anthems, but mm-hmm. then after he uh, spoke with a military member, about the issue he said hey maybe kneeling is a more respectful way of doing it and so he ended up kneeling for the anthem and I guess the reason why I bring that up is because he was doing that in 2016 to protest against police brutality versus uh, African Americans and we're still kind of in the same situation in 2020 where we're still it still feels like a divided country uh, more than ever and I don't I I don't know if canceling I mean luckily they didn't cancel the games but if they did would that really end everything that's going on right now? No, it, it wouldn't. And and that I mean, yeah, 4 years later we're still in that same position, but it definitely feels like a lot more of the country has kind of opened their eyes to understanding what the issue is. And I think the pandemic has definitely kind of brought that out of people and given you know more opportunities to be able to realize that and one of the the issues that a lot of uh you know people both in and out of the nba had uh, in terms of their concerns of restarting was that we had there was all this momentum building up for in that the social justice movement and all of a sudden we would give people distraction by having sports come back you know, that's something we talked about in the last episode. It's like it, it was. It's nice to have sports to be able to escape from the real yeah, world. Yeah, but the uh, I'm gl- I'm really glad that they didn't completely cancel the the sp- basketball because that I feel like that could have been a domino effect on the other sports. Where oh, absolutely. Oh, football. I mean, especially football coming up now, and that sport is also probably primarily seventy like percent uh, of players are black in the NFL. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so yeah, I feel like. So, they would have taken a similar action as well. 
Absolutely. I mean, you you saw that even just boycotting games, you know, it led to other sports leagues in solidarity deciding not to play their games. And it's it not just exclusive to the NBA. Like we said, the NHL canceled games for two days. You had the MLS canceled games, the WNBA canceled games. You had baseball. I think there were like 10 or 12 games that were canceled in that three day stretch, Wednesday to Friday. You even had NFL teams cancel practice, cancel scrimmages, put out statements themselves where, you know, they're not boycotting games because they can't yet but they were still making the uh the same type of actions that the nba did and and in their practices so uh there absolutely could have been a domino effect and I'm, i'm glad that the sports continue to come back because i do love still having them but it's still like one of those issues where as long as they're here you're going to have people who can kind of escape and the reality is a lot of people in this country can't escape from that because race racism is still a huge issue. There's still a lot of systemic problems across this country and across society. Uh, and I think that's the big thing that these NBA players wanted to say by boycotting be like, Hey, there are bigger things in basketball right now. And we all need to realize that. And I think, you know, even though that they came back and you can say, well, what was the point? Nothing really happened. Well, the basketball owners agreed to uh, allow or to like form like a um, social justice committee. Something the NFL already had. The NBA now has one, which kind of feels incredible to think they hadn't had one until now. But that's certainly something that can continue to uh, have a positive effect long term. And then they also agreed that every NBA arena will be a voting site in this year's elections and that the uh they're going to promote voting information as part of advertising throughout the playoffs. So to me, all, all three of those all, all things those are, happen. All those are steps forward into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like, to me, it, it was a success it, in terms of what was happening. Obviously you're not going to change everything overnight. This problem is still going to exist, but for the NBA players to do that and to come out and like starting to see actual changes being made, I think it's great because the the idea is the players don't want, you know, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, whatever league, they don't want the league and the owners just to be reactive and they want them to be proactive. And I think that that's, that's one of the big things we're seeing. So from here, I think it's a question of, is this going to happen again? Or, you know, now that we've seen that these boycotts are possible, that games can just not happen because players don't want to play. Is it going to happen again on an even bigger stage? I mean, I'd like to think that we this can all end, but like I said four years ago, Colin Kaepernick did his thing with the anthem protests, and there were even multi- multiple other shootings even earlier, and LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Paul, and Carmelo Anthony at the ESPYs even had to uh, give their speech on how we got this all this violence and police brutality and things going on in our country like need to stop yeah and i i don't think that it's just going to stop overnight it's going to take more than just nba players or you know mlb players whatever to to boycott a couple of games for there to be a change but you know it it does feel like the possibility of moving in the right direction is is in front of us so uh, it'll be interesting to see what continues to happen, like even more than what we've already been seeing in the uh, the sports world the past couple months. So, with that, 
you know, basketball is back. They they did end the boycott. We had games played this weekend. Um, and, you know, I think before we talk about them, you know, another, you know, I guess difficult topic to discuss is the, the sad deaths that we've had in the past few weeks. It's something that was honored before each game this weekend. Um, you know, three, three individuals who really affected the, uh, you know, a lot of people throughout the NBA and throughout this country. You have Lute Olson, legendary basketball coach for the University of Arizona. Uh, he passed away, uh, complications from a stroke he recently suffered. And then you had, uh, you know, two individuals pass away from cancer, uh, very young. Cliff Robinson, 53 years old, uh, former NBA All-Star, Sixth Man of the Year, helped lead the Portland Trailblazers to do finals appearances in the 1990s. And then uh, I think the big name, the big shocker is Chadwick Boseman, the the actor who, uh, you know, his, his most iconic roles are pretty relevant right now, Jackie Robinson in 42 and the Black Panther. The fact, the, uh, the, yeah. the fact that his death comes at a time in our country, given, given everything in our country right now, that's... It's kind of uh, surreal, and the fact that he was in—he was the Black Panther, but then he was also Jackie Robinson uh, in the movie Forty Two, and his death came. I think didn't it come on the same day as "quote unquote" Jackie Robinson Day in baseball? Yeah. Even though it's usually in April, of course, on a normal year, it was. I think it was yesterday or the other August day. August twenty eighth. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just the fact that it happened. Um, on that day is is crazy yeah yeah very ironic timing with that um and that's that's something that i think it's affecting a lot of people you know with everything going on right now to lose someone like that it's incredible that he was doing all that work while battling cancer it seems like not a lot of people really had any idea of what he was going through so a lot of people are blindsided by that so i think it was great that the nba did did that honor those three guys you know allow a platform for you know the the analysts on you know, both the the NBA's ESPN show as well as uh, the NBA on TNT pregame to kind of you know talk about their experiences with all three of them. Yeah, and I like how LeBron brought up that, and I I can't believe I didn't realize this, but the the fact that like all of the the superheroes like Batman, Spider Man, Iron Man, they're all predominantly white, but mm-hmm. as for the Black Panther, he the one African American uh, superhero that uh, black people, like whether if it's athletes or just normal people, they got to look up to him in in yeah. that role. Yeah, I mean, it was hugely successful movie for that reason. I mean, you you we have like a handful of black superheroes in the past, but to have this one movie where you have a star. And the Black Panther, as well as like so many others throughout the movie, you know, it's just a, a great representation, and it's unfortunate that uh, we won't have Chadwick to continue that franchise. And uh, you know, hopefully, the you know Marvel is able to find a way to continue the Black Panther, and uh, you know, that's a satisfying for for Marvel fans. But yeah, very very tragic death, very unexpected. You know, all three of them are are certainly going to be felt throughout the um, NBA community. All right, so now let's let's talk some fun stuff. We we got all of that out of the way here, so let's uh, let's just start off by talking about the Celtics' huge game one victory over the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I believe what one eighteen to one twelve to ninety four. 
112 to 94. Yeah, so 18 point victory. Uh, those Celtics were awesome shooting threes uh, in that, and I I think that that's going to be a key going forward for them. But I guess you know going into the series, what was your thought on Boston versus Toronto, and what has changed following this this game one? So I thought the Gordon Hayward injury would come back to bite them, uh, but in game one it didn't seem like they missed them at all, and I think. I think it was just a lot of good shooting from the Celtics and a lot of bad play from the Raptors. And I expect there to be much closer games throughout the series. And I definitely don't want to overreact to the one Celtics win because if you look back literally just last year, the Celtics blew out the Bucks, and I had the Celtics winning that series. And then that one game made me even more confident. And then all of a sudden they lose four straight games. So it could easily turn around. But no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say that was like the first thing that I was going to say was last year the Celtics beat the Bucs in game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals, 112 to 90. So even bigger win, almost the exact same score. And like you said, they lost four in a row. And of those four games, it's like two blowout losses in Milwaukee and the games in Boston weren't all that much closer. Uh, now, I think the key difference is you don't have Kyrie Irving anymore, and I think Kyrie was really a, a more of a problem he, than he was a, a you know, solution yeah. for the Celtics in that series. So uh, I don't know that we need to immediately think, oh, well, now Toronto's just going to rip off four in a row. But heading into the series, my thought was either the Celtics are going to prove that they're the better team, because I think overall Boston is the better team in this series, um, or Toronto was just going to have their experience be you know a big part of this and it was going to be kind of back and forth with Toronto winning a six or seven games uh, and I, I think both of them are still on the table I could absolutely see the Celtics riding the momentum to maybe not winning three straight but winning three out of the next four or see Toronto coming out winning game two big and uh, you know from there we have ourselves a series but I, I think that game two is going to be much more important than this first game but I'm, I'm very very happy with what Boston did in game one especially shooting the ball I, th- so. I think they blew them out not just today but didn't I'm pretty sure they blew them out the last game they played versus Toronto yeah the-, the Raptors only lost two games in the bubble and both of them were blowout losses to the Celtics yeah so I know a lot of people were talking about the matchup and that Boston doesn't match up super well with Toronto because of the bigs but that wasn't an issue you know, Daniel Tice did what he needed to do on the defensive end. Robert, Robert Williams, Williams was awesome. Finally, like had a pretty good game. Yeah. So I mean, Toronto has their big three of you know their their little big three of uh, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Gasol, and Serge Ibaka, and I think all three of those guys have the potential to really overwhelm the Celtics on you know both sides of the ball. But if Boston is able to if if they can just run through Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, you know, all those those guys as the the one through three position and outscore Toronto that way, then I, I don't think that the Raptors are gonna be able to suffocate the Celtics with just their big and guys. And Jason Tatum didn't even play that great in the first half and but no. he turned it turned it on in the second. I just yeah. I just think the bigger problem the bigger problem for me was well not just their size but their bench i mean because after I, I talked about this last time after kemba tatum and brown and the after the starting lineup it is a massive or a 
a pretty big drop off after those after those five guys. Yeah, I think Brad Stevens has has been able to coach right to get the most out of his bench, putting guys in situations that they need to be in. But I do agree. I think Toronto has a really deep bench. That's the reason why they're so successful is because they have all these guys that just kind of come out of nowhere and help out this team. That doesn't necessarily translate to success in the playoffs, so historically. So I think that you know the bench will continue to be a big part of the series. And if if guys can come off and give the Celtics 12, 15, 18 good minutes and uh, you know the the big three are able to do what they need to do, then I, I really like Boston's chances and, to continue in, term, in this one. And in terms of the bench, they don't need to put up scoring affairs. They can they don't need to fill up the statue. They can do just do their role, especially on the defensive end, like they did today and limit mm-hmm. Toronto. I think Toronto shot like 20% from the three-point line, something abysmal. Yeah, I, I don't know what the final numbers were. I, c- I can look that up, but I know at least at the start when the Celtics jumped out in front, they they were 8 for 14 and Toronto was 5 for 22 from three. So, I mean, that right there, it's it, it's a big difference in, in that the Celtics were making their shots and Toronto was firing up a ton and they just weren't falling. And uh, that's how the Celtics were able to build their lead, and then from there they were just able to maintain a large enough lead that it never really got close. So I, like I talked about before the series, I worried that losing Hayward. I'm not saying Hayward's their best player or anything, but I thought losing Hayward would Hayward would take an effect uh, in this series, and it still could. Also, Kyle Lowry had his he had a ankle sprained ankle injury before the series, and I wonder. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he he wasn't very good in game once. So I wonder if if that no, takes. No, I don't think on. he was a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, no Lowry or limited Lowry uh, versus no Hayward. It does feel like kind of an even trade off. Um, you know, Toronto is able to turn to Fred Van Vliet if Kyle Lowry can't go when they need him to. But I I do think that that they're they're going to need Lowry playing at his best and healthiest if if they're going to turn this thing around and then van vliet he was so great last year in the in the finals uh he was i think he even got a finals mvp vote that's how great he was last year yeah uh but now that Kawhi is not there and kyle lowry's not 100 percent, i don't know how effective van vliet is if he's if he has to be the first or second option uh, for each game yeah, I think that's a big thing with Toronto because, you know, Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry, I think are their, their one and two best players. And then from there, they have a lot of guys who can kind of step up and thrive in like a third, fourth, fifth, sixth best role, whatever you want to put them in. Uh, so, you know, when they, they do lose Lowry like that, I think that does expose Toronto a lot. And, uh, you know, just needing some of these guys to step up big time, whereas they can't play the same kind of role that you're seeing a lot of the guys on the Celtics do with you know, Robert Williams being able to come off the bench and just contribute enough but not having to be this like dominant player on either side of the ball because they have so many stars in front of him whereas you know so I guess you know kind of talking about that so before the game I was I was thinking about this I'm curious what your thoughts are because Paul Pierce and Richard Jefferson were going back and forth on the pregame show um who are the top four players in this series? Like, what's your ranking of them? I would go, so I probably overrate him, but I would put Tatum one. And then I would probably say Siakam two. Uh, Kem- Kemba three. And then four would be, I would say Lowry if he was healthy, but I would, I'm probably 
probably say Jalen if Kyle Lowry's nowhere near 100%. Yeah, so I guess, you know, just talking about a top five, I personally would put Siakam just ahead of Tatum. I think it's close there. Um, and then I would also go Kemba, Jalen Brown, Kyle Lowry for three, four, five. I think Richard Jefferson had a similar kind of thought where he said Siakam is the best player in the series, but Paul Pierce not only said Tatum's the best, but he said Jalen Brown ahead of Pascal Siakam, which that feels kind of like Celtics homer pick from him. I mean, I think Jalen doesn't get enough credit for how great of a player he is because he's he's not Tatum or Kemba, but he's definitely like in that tier after those guys, and he's his scoring production really went up this year because he. He was in his first three seasons. He was scoring like 10, 12, 13 points a game or so. But this year, he got up to twenty points per game and has been one of the most improved players. And he's not even the most improved player on his team because Tatum is be- reaching superstar level. So, but I wouldn't put him ahead of ahead of Siakam or even Kemba. So I'd put that order I just gave where it was Tatum one. So we disagree on that. I have Tatum one, <laughs> yeah. Siakam two, but then uh, Kemba. Jalen and Lowry three four and five so yeah so I mean I guess you can debate a few of those spots but regardless the even if the Celtics don't have the best player in the series they have the next three so I think that that's that became clear as like that's what's going to separate this for Boston is that just having that top heavy talent is that going to be enough to overcome Toronto's probably deeper bench and uh, in game one, that, that certainly seems to be the case at this point, especially when the Celtics are getting contributions from guys outside of that group. But I think that's going to continue to be the stories of the series. So I guess just right away, what is your, your prediction following game one? I'll say the Cel- I, I, th- I think the Celtics will win the series, especially after game one. Definitely. How many games? I'll go. I'll go seven. I think I think Toronto is still good enough to compete with the Celtics, but I'm going to say the Celtics get the victory i think if it goes to seven then the raptors are going to win just based off experience um so I, i'm thinking that the celtics are going to need to take care of them sooner part of me wants to go celtics and five after watching that i think i'll go celtics and six but um you know going into the series i probably would have said toronto and seven but you know following that game one victory i think that Boston's going to learn from last year's milwaukee game one victory and blowing it and they'll they'll be able to continue that to ride that momentum into a, a series victory. I will say that is a good point that if it goes seven, maybe Toronto has the better playoff experience. I just, the reason why I picked seven is because I've been flip-flopping between the two, especially after the Hayward yeah. injury. So uh-huh. that's the reason why I picked seven. But I, I'm i pretty confident in the way the Celtics have been playing uh, versus Toronto the past couple games. Yeah, so we'll see what continues to happen from here. Both of us certainly rooting for Boston to knock off the defending champs. Uh, The other series in the Eastern Conference is yet to get underway, but we know it's going to be the top-seeded Milwaukee Bucks going up against the Miami Heat, fresh off a sweep of the Indiana Pacers. So Milwaukee struggled in Game 1 against Orlando, very reminiscent to the Raptors last year, losing in the Magic in Game 1, and then rattled off four straight victories. So, uh, you know, based on what you saw from the Bucks and the Heat, who do you who do you think has the advantage heading into this series? So, I know I've said multiple times in the past that when it comes to the Bucks, I I think it's Giannis and then a bunch of decent guys, but I I probably just don't give enough credit to Middleton and maybe even Bledsoe. But yeah, the 
the Bucks should should win this series. Now, I don't think it'll be a super easy series like the one they had versus the Magic, but I still think they should win in, I would say, six games. I I mean, the Heat, when you look at the Heat, at least Jimmy Butler, he definitely has playoff experience. Now, he hasn't had... He hasn't competed for finals or anything, but last year he was with on the Sixers team, a, a Sixers team that you know how much I hate, but he was able to bring them all the way to Game 7 versus the eventual NBA Finals champions in the Raptors, and I think he was their, be- I think he was their best player throughout that postseason, like, even with Embiid and Simmons on their team. Jimmy Butler was the one that was really carrying them last, last season, so I think Jimmy Butler can definitely make it a challenge for the Bucks. I just don't think that they have enough firepower to to take down Milwaukee. Yeah, so I mean going back to the NBA trade deadline when the Miami Heat made their their big moves acquiring Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder from the Memphis Grizzlies, a lot of people were saying, "Wow, the the Heat are huge winners at the deadline. They just upgraded their team. Like this is all of a sudden someone who can compete with the big boys in the East." And I mean, my reaction was the opposite and saying that, all right, the Heat are kind of better, but the Bucks, who barely did anything at the deadline are the biggest winner because if that's the biggest move, Miami adding a couple veterans who may or may not even, uh, you know, play like the biggest playoff minutes, then the Bucks are in the best shape. And I think as as the bubble has proceeded, um, you know, between both the regular season seeding games as well as the playoffs, the Heat feel like they have more positive momentum in the sense that not I, I think a lot of people would have predicted Miami to beat Indiana I don't know they, how many thought they, they would beat, have a clean sweep they beat a good Pacers team I didn't think that was going to be a, a sweep I thought that was going six or seven games I, I would have picked Miami but a much more competitive series yeah but Miami or not Miami in uh the Pacers they have plenty of good players now Sabonis was out but they still have uh, Malcolm Brogdon leading their team and Oladipo as well. They have kind of a sneaky deep team, but but Miami definitely proved that they were not ready for the test. No, no. So I mean, Miami absolutely has has a bigger momentum for that reason because nobody was saying, "Oh, Milwaukee's gonna beat Orlando in six or seven games." Everyone thought it would be a sweep, and like the worst case scenario was. Orlando would win one of the games like they did so from that perspective I definitely think that the Heat are should be feeling much more confident in themselves but I still believe that the Bucks are the better team I know that Miami is a trendy upset pick in this series I think that this is very similar to the Boston Toronto series where you know maybe Miami can extend this one and pull out a, a tough six or seven game series victory but I I honestly think that the Bucks are going to come out and say, all right, you know, we we boycotted a game. We we got all of our frustrations out, but we're here to play and we have so much on the lines and we're just going to totally show that we're the best team in the Eastern Conference. So they're going to win this series and potentially even a sweep. Uh, I'm going to say the Bucks in five because I, I just think that that's that's where the talent disparity is. And I'll go six. I think Miami is proven that they're definitely good enough to compete but Milwaukee is just definitely way too good for them especially if Giannis is going to play the way he's playing right now so last year when we were previewing the Eastern Conference semifinals uh, we 
we had a I guess a, a debate amongst you know you me and Ben uh, which team most needed to advance to the NBA finals and all three of us were able to argue a different team I mean this year is there any doubt that the Bucks are the team when you look at them compared to Boston Toronto yeah. and uh, Miami no yeah it's definitely Milwaukee because they have the they have the superstar player they they were knocking on the door. Uh, for a finals appearance last year, they blew a two nothing lead over Toronto, and then they end up losing four straight. And and then when you look at the Raptors, they literally won the NBA championship last year, and Kawhi's not even there anymore. And then Miami, it's it's great that they're here in the, and made it to the second round, but I don't I don't know how much more of a ceiling that they have. And then Boston, I mean I I mean pe- include people like us and. Many other fans uh, were thinking, yeah, the Celtics, they could compete, but can they compete for an NBA title? I don't know. And especially now that Hayward is gone, I don't know. I don't know what their ceiling is exactly either. I think maybe East Finals, but I don't know if they can get past Milwaukee. So Milwaukee is definitely the team that needs to make the finals more than the other three. Well, I mean, I think you're basically arguing that Milwaukee is is the best of the four teams, and they're the one who needs to from the that perspective. But when I look at the other three teams, Toronto just won the finals last year. There, so they're less, no pressure yeah. for them. Yeah, there's no pressure for them. The Celtics, like, yeah, I mean, they've they've kind of been knocking on the door for a little bit in a similar sense to Milwaukee, but they have a young budding superstar in Jason Tatum. They have Kemba Walker under contract for three more years, and you know he's still at in the prime of his career. And then they have Jalen Brown, who's right behind Jason Tatum, and where he's turning to become like a an All Star caliber player. So I don't think that the Celtics have to win this year, and they have like any people, sort of window that's about to close. People thought they're going to be worse this year from last year. Yeah, they've they've overachieved yeah. in terms of like how good they've been. So I'm I'm not gonna say that the Celtics absolutely need to go to the finals this year. And then the Miami Heat, yeah, I mean, they're a team that it, it's like who knows what their ceiling is. But regardless, they're already being linked to so many guys, whether it's Anthony Davis in free agency, trading for Victor Oladipo, or you know signing a big name after the 2021 offseason where there are so many available free agents. So to me, the Heat, anything they do is just kind of a bonus. And the next couple of years is when they're really going to be stepping up big time by potentially adding another superstar to join Jimmy Butler and all the other talent they have on their roster. So Milwaukee... And the biggest reason why they have to win is because Cause, cause Giannis, Giannis could, Antetokounmpo. Because he could leave. only has one more year. Point. Yeah, and absolutely. So they got to... They got to show that, hey, we can win a championship like that. Even though we're a small market team, you can be successful here. You can become a not just an NBA superstar, you know, best player in the league, but one of the all time greats when it comes to championships. Uh, And if they they fail again, especially losing to any of those three teams, Toronto, Boston or Miami, where they don't have. A Kawhi Leonard, you know, it's it's Giannis Antetokounmpo and then everyone else in the Western Conference. It's one thing if, if the Bucks lose to the Lakers or the Clippers in the finals, but if they don't even get there, that is a colossal failure. And they're in a really tough spot when it comes to Giannis because they are potentially looking at almost needing to trade him away because I don't know that they'll be able to convince him to re-sign in Milwaukee a year later. So... 
yeah, for me, the Bucks absolutely need to do that. And I guess kind of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, it it just makes it even more impressive that the the Bucks were were willing to put so much on the line by by boycotting that game you know potentially boycotting the remainder of the playoffs because they have so much to lose and it just really speaks to how how much the the players truly care about this issue so i was just about to say that they're about to forfeit the game and you and you just bring up like oh wait they could have just boycotted the rest of the season yeah i mean if it didn't start up again like you know the bucks were kind of front and center as the the team that was uh leading that that cause so that i think that you know that that tells you right there that it's it's not just uh, an empty statement from that team, um, and you know we'll we'll see what happens with with the Bucks going forward because you know it's like I said it's still possible that you know that this wasn't the only time we would see that but now now that they're back and playing I absolutely believe that Milwaukee is is ready to run through Miami and you know make make their way to the NBA finals I said at the beginning of the season they're my NBA champions and I, I haven't wavered from that at this point I mean I I picked them to win it all I just I guess I'm a little bit less confident than you but I I'm st- I guess I'm still gonna stick with that opinion though because I don't want because I don't want to change it yeah, as long as Giannis is healthy, he's the best player in the Eastern Conference. Um, I'm not too concerned about them advancing to the NBA Finals. So let's let's flip over to the West at this point. You know, at least at the time of recording, it's possible that more teams will join them. The only team that has uh, clinched their spot in the second round are the Los Angeles Lakers. They uh, struggled early game one against Portland Trailblazers, and then they won four straight. Uh, a few very impressive victories. And I think that the biggest key to the Lakers' dominance in that series, you know, turning things around after that ugly start, is Anthony Davis. Because, you know, he he had a solid game when you just look at the numbers-wise, 28 points, 11 rebounds in Game 1, but he did it on 8 for 24 shooting, which is not, not good, not very efficient. So then for him to come out in the next four games, 13 for 21 in game two, 31 points, another 11 boards. Game three, 11 for 18, going 29, 11, and 8. Game four, they won by like 60 points or whatever it was. And, you know, he, he only had to take eight shots and 18, 5, and 5, still decent numbers there. And then in game five, when it came to closing him out, going 14 for 18, 43 points, nine rebounds, like Anthony Davis was the key to the Lakers. And with him playing at that caliber to the point where you're like, Wow, Anthony Davis is the best player on this team, not LeBron James. That makes the Lakers such a scary. I think team. people have brought that up in the past, where because LeBron is now aging and Anthony Davis is in the prime of his career, people were going to say that eventually, whether it was this year or the next year or beyond, that Anthony Davis would actually be the best player on the team. And right, right now, he's proving that. I'm, I'm sure later in the postseason, LeBron will pick up more of the slack, but. Anthony Davis is by far the, playing as well as anyone on the Lakers right now. I mean, you can't even say that LeBron is slacking. Well, he not had a slacking, but he's, in game he's five. <laughs> he hasn't put up like the triple double numbers every single night as we're used to, I guess. No, but I mean, okay, he, he I think he had thirty and ten. Um, 30 points, 10 assists in game five. And uh, they said on the broadcast that that was the 20th time he's done that in the playoffs in his career, which I believe they said was a record ahead of Michael Jordan. So, yeah, I mean, he he has – LeBron has definitely uh, proven that he is still 
at the top of his game, still way up there, like still the best player on the Lakers. But Anthony Davis right now, I mean, the the way he's playing, like if, if, if you're debating whether triple double LeBron James or 43 point Anthony Davis is the best player on this team, then I don't know that you can confidently say that uh, someone is going to knock them off between now and the end of this this postseason. I mean, it would be uh, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers. Those are the top three that has, that have been discussed in terms of legitimately winning the championship this year. Yeah, and while the uh, the Lakers struggled in Game One, that was really it for them. None of the other games were in too much doubt. Whereas the Clippers. It's they're still it in, has they're not still been in easy. game six right now versus Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, so they're up fifty seven to fifty one at halftime. So, you know, at least they're they're twenty four minutes away from advancing, but they they've been struggling in a few of these games. You know, Kristoff's Brazingis was a big part of game two. He's out for the rest of the series. Game four, Luca took over by himself. And you know, that that wound up being an incredible series that could have gone either way, but they, uh, the Clippers have not been dominating a seven seed that is pretty young. You know, most of their veterans aren't star players. Uh, so I, I think that there's, there's much more reason to be concerned about the Clippers than the Lakers, which I would not have said a week ago. Luca did play out of his mind in game four. That was an, a really exciting game. And he, they didn't even have Porzingis in that game. I think what's been concerning is Paul George's game. He's He's been mm-hmm. really really bad this postseason and he did talk about how he's been going through a lot of mental issues where he's had he's dealt with a lot of anxiety and depression throughout this throughout the bubble games and but he's he's he looked like he turned around in game five and I don't know maybe his if his game turns around they could look a lot their team could look a lot better throughout the next round or so yeah, I mean, if if Playoff P is a true nickname and not just something that we're saying <laughs> to make fun of him, then I agree. The Clippers would be great. I mean, he had 35 points in Game 4, and they won like 150 to 110. So, uh, you know, when, when we get that side of Paul George, the Clippers are right up there with the Lakers. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Anthony Davis struggled in Game 1, and they lost to Portland. And if if Paul George is struggling more often than he's great, then it's going to be very difficult for the Clippers to advance to where they want to get, especially when you throw in the fact that they haven't really even had a fully healthy roster since they've been in the bubble because they've had guys out for various yeah, reasons. Lou Williams was out because he he went out to the clubs, and and then Montrez Harrell, he had a, a personal issue as well. and So, yeah, they, they haven't been all together at once for, for, for much time. No, so I mean, if the if the Clippers can kind of get get their footing, uh, which you know ideally you don't want to do that in the playoffs, you would want to do that before, then I think that they'll be in in much better shape. But going into the bubble, I I felt pretty good about the Clippers winning in the West, but right now, you know, I I I'm I'm definitely wavering more toward the Lakers. I guess I, so. I I would still I would still lean if I had to pick right now I would still lean with the Clippers just because I think they have a lot more depth after so if we're comparing LeBron AD versus Paul George and Kawhi I mean obviously I'm gonna take LeBron and AD but I think throughout the rest of their roster I think the Clippers set match up better 
than the Lakers do if they were to face each other. And that, that that's just my two cents. I hope so. I certainly would be rooting for the Clippers. Um, but uh, so I guess from there we have Houston, Oklahoma City, Utah, Denver still going on. Do you think that any of those four teams are going to put up a fight at this point? Uh, in the second round. In the second round, no, I I can't see it. I I kind of wish those series would. I I like I like the long six or seven game series, but I kind of don't care for it when you just know you just have a good feeling that they're just going to lose and immediately in the next round. So, I mean, Utah has played great, um, or I don't know if it's because they're playing great or if Denver has just been that bad, but. Utah looks like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, he's put up a so. cu- multiple what fifty point games in the yeah. in the playoffs or in the bubble games, right now. Yeah, I mean Jamal Murray has been doing the same thing. It's just been back and forth with them. But you know, the Nuggets are are barely winning the two games they've won, and the Jazz have had a, a couple of blowout wins. They're, they've been looking great, but I still feel like their ceiling is capped. Uh, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich was a big loss. They've had Mike Conley in and out. He's been really solid since he's uh, come back in that series. But I, I just don't know that Utah has enough talent to be able to compete with the Clippers. And, and then, then when I look at the Houston yeah. Rockets, so I think you're going to beat the Thunder. I don't know how they can stop Anthony Davis. Like, you know, their their little small ball, six, I, seven or less, whatever it's called, is is cute and all. But I, I just don't think that they can they can uh, consistently beat the Lakers in a seven-game series. It's big that they got Westbrook back, but I even I brought this up when we did our season preview that I, I, I just hate the way the Rockets play where it's it's just straight up. Yeah, small ball. It's really small ball now. Like PJ Tucker is now mm-hmm. their center, which is absurd. Oh yeah. And then it's really just it's just iso ball with Harden just dribbling, doing his own thing, and just hoping the shot goes in. If it does, great. If it doesn't, then they're gonna be in a big hole because their defense is literally just play better on offense. That's literally what their defense is. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that Harden and Westbrook are both capable of just going off in a game or two, but I don't know if that's even enough to beat the Lakers in a series. So, you know, to me, I, I, I don't really think that this Houston experiment is working out great. Um, in the end, you know, if if they beat the Lakers by doing this, and we could certainly see a trend start to form in the NBA. But if the Lakers come out and win that series in like you know five games, then I think D'Antoni's gone. Houston's reshaping their team with a, a coach who doesn't want to just shoot fifty something three pointers in a game like they did in one of their losses to the Thunder. And uh, you know we'll 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 go back to the drawing board later as we watch the the Lakers and the Clippers play in the yeah, West. I've, I've never Sox. loved D'Antoni so. as a coach, but it is a perfect match with him and Harden that they love to focus their game on offense but really just put like very minimal effort on defense so I I agree with that I think that in terms of what Houston's trying to do right now uh, regardless of whether or not it's the recipe to win a championship Mike D'Antoni is a great coach there and that's a good uh, you know segue into our next topic so let's talk about some of the teams who have uh, been eliminated from the bubble and are are now looking to hire their next head coach. So the uh, Philadelphia 76ers and the Indiana Pacers both swept in their series in the first round. 
Uh, Brett Brown, Nate McMillan were casualties from their performances. So they joined the Brooklyn Nets, Chicago Bulls, and New Orleans Pelicans as the five teams with vacant head coach openings. Uh, Indiana is being linked to Mike D'Antoni. Apparently he is their number one preference. Uh, there are a lot of other names, some some we've heard before, like Tyron Lu, Jason Kidd, even Mark Jackson being thrown out there. Kenny Atkinson, who was fired by Brooklyn, could be an attractive name for any of those teams. But uh, so my my question to you is, which of those five jobs is the most attractive for just your typical you know generic head coach? Probably n- New Orleans, maybe because. Well, actually, no. New Orleans can be bad because see, you have a lot of talent, you have a lot of promise, but if you come out of the gate not looking good, then all the blame's going to go to you. Especially if you have a a major superstar, potential superstar in Zion, and then a couple other younger guys in Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, and then you have the veteran Drew Holiday. I, I think they they have the most potential, but then there's also the most downside if you come out of the gate and not look good, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that was a big problem with Alvin Gentry and why why he was let go after this season because the expectations were just so high for that team. Um, so, I mean, I guess that being said, who is your, who is your number one? If I had to pick be- between those, like, I would I would say New Orleans. I, I would Philly would be last. You know that. Trust the f- freaking process, n- my you-know-what. So definitely <laughs> they would be last. Indiana's a would be a pretty good job. I, I they have good players like Sabonis, Brogdon, Oladipo, and so they would definitely be in the middle. But I think New Orleans definitely seems like the most appealing job. All right. Well, it sounds like we have totally different thought processes <laughs> on this. Uh, so I mean, I'll I'll go through and give mine. I'll give my reasoning for them, and then you can you can tell me if uh, I'm wrong or if I, I sway your opinion at all so number five I actually put the Indiana Pacers here and maybe I'm a little too low on them but it just kind of feels like the Pacers organization has a ceiling of you know a couple conference finals appearances per decade but they're a team that's never going to be this super attractive free agent destination and when they do get a generational type player in Paul George they're they're not going to be able to overcome the teams that have the multiple superstars and they're going to have to trade them. And now that they're looking at the same thing with Victor Oladipo and it just feels like a place where the expectations are going to be high because you're consistently going to be a playoff contender, but you're just going to be stuck in that not middle of the pack, like slightly above the middle, but nowhere near the the top two or three for long. So to me, that's why I put Indiana number five. And then number four, I put the Chicago Bulls. I only put Chicago ahead of them because I think that it's a more attractive free agent destination. Uh, And I think that the Bulls getting rid of um, Gar Foreman and John Paxson is – it's it's only going to be a good thing, right? You know, just trying to clean house and put establish a new culture with Arturis Gornosovis. Uh, But, I mean, it's still the Bulls. They're a team that they don't have a a whole lot of It's an attractive location, but it's not like – if you look at the roster, not it's not really a roster no. that's, that's that great. It's it's Zach Levine and then Lori Markinen and then who, that's it. I mean, they're, they're names that they're they're talking about moving as well. So I, I think that Chicago is it's more of a long term uh, 
destination. It, it's like, who maybe the first head coach? I mean, it, it, there doesn't be a casual. I mean, look at the so. Celtics with Brad when they hired Brad Stevens, the one of the best college basketball coaches in the country. He he probably knew going into it that that first year with Ron Rajon Rondo and a bunch of nobodies that they were only going to win like twenty something games and it would be a long a long road ahead. But now it looks great. So I, I think Chicago would be I would I would rank it ahead of uh, Philly for sure. Philly would be last on my list, and okay, then Indiana. Wait, wait, would... Let me let me keep oh, going, okay. but I get it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we can we can talk more. So yeah, Chicago number four. Same kind of reasons as you said. It's like they're a team that the potential is there, but the the short term isn't great, and I don't know how soon they can get to the long term. Unless Anthony Davis decides he wants to come home to Chicago this off season, then all of a sudden the Bulls' job looks way better. Uh, that's the only thing to me that could potentially bump them up. Number three, I put in the New Orleans Pelicans just because. I mean, I put them ahead of Chicago because I think they have more immediate talent, but they're in the much more difficult conference in the West. It's so difficult to be in that top eight. That's something that we saw with New Orleans this year where they got off to a bad start and they just couldn't dig themselves out of the hole. And I think that until Zion Williamson actually proves that he is who he could be, the expectations are just going to be so much higher than they should be. You know, Brandon Ingram is a phenomenal player. Zion Williamson could be a phenomenal player. Lonzo Ball we still don't know about Drew Holiday is is great, but he's he's more on the way out than he is is just you know continuing to be at the top of his game, and then from there it's just how do you continue to uh, assemble this roster because JJ Redick was solid for the Pelicans, but Derek Favors the other veteran they added was not. So um, to me, I, I just feel like the expectations are a little too high in New Orleans right now that um, it's it's just not necessarily the greatest place to be as a coach. But if you can make it work, the Pelicans can be a really attractive job for uh, anyone with Zion Williamson, um, you know, moving forward. So Pelicans three. And to me, number two and number one are in a tier of their own. I put Philly number two. I know we're down on the 76ers roster, but they still have a ton of talent. If they can figure out how that works, then this could be one of the best teams in the NBA. I think that they are a few moves away from being like legitimately uh, not just a, a finals contender, but the, the kind of team that you can see year in and year out at the top of the Eastern Conference. They just need to figure out what their direction is with uh, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and some of the other guys they have. So, you know, it's one of those things where if they can't figure it out, then yeah, that Philly job becomes less and less attractive, but they, they have the pieces there to be able to build off it. And then number one, it leaves the Brooklyn Nets. You know, say what you want about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They're phenomenal basketball players. If I'm Greg Popovich and Brooklyn comes calling and my option is either to continue coaching a San Antonio Spurs team that is in need of a rebuild or go to Brooklyn, coach Durant and Irving and try to win another championship with another organization, that that's something that I'm seriously considering. So to me, Brooklyn... They're number one. It's a lot of a, a lot of talent. It's a lot of guys that you're like, okay, can I handle all this? But uh, you know, if you're up to that challenge, to me, the Nets is the number one job. Yeah, I'm not going to change my number one. I think New Orleans definitely has a lot of potential in being an amazing team. Uh, Philly, I don't, I don't know if they're last, but they're definitely near the bottom. Whether if it's fourth or fifth, I just think. I just think it sucks if your one of your best players literally can't shoot the basketball and shoots under sixty percent from the free throw line. But Embiid, Embiid is great, but he's also super lazy. So I would put 
I wouldn't maybe I'd probably put them last, but then fourth. I think I'd put Brooklyn fourth because I don't want to freaking deal with Kyrie Irving and all his crap. So, and that's literally my only reason. That's literally my only take on it. It's just that I can't stand Kyrie all his Irving. crap is you know twenty something points per game, ten plus assists per yeah, game potential. Yeah, like, and and just ruining the team. Yeah, and thinking too highly of himself. So I still have that bad taste in my mouth from last year. So I'd put that them fourth. Uh, three, I think I would keep Indiana in the middle. But I do agree with every with a lot of things you said where their ceiling is capped off by maybe a conference finals appearance. If you have a superstar player like Paul George, you're just eventually going to have to trade him, and you're not going to get anyone to come there. But you do have solid players, solid good players there. So I, it would be a nice job. But yeah, in terms of winning a championship, I don't know. I wouldn't love my chances there. So, but you don't have to deal with any, uh, you know, bad players in the locker room, uh, in terms of chemistry. So I guess I'd put them in the middle because it it doesn't look like a great but does job, but it doesn't look like a bad job either. And then who's the other team that? I'd, Oh, the Bulls. Chicago. Yeah, you could just yeah. just total clean sweep, restart. And, I mean, it's just Levine, Markin, and a couple other decent guys. I mean, you start fresh, so even if you suck out of the gate, you it, you can't really blame the coach for it if the roster isn't great. You just it build happens, little, though, where teams you just, get rid of their rebuilding just, coaches before hiring the new guy to take you over. You just build little by little, by year. Now you don't have. Yeah, I mean, the, now it's probably a bad thing to compare them to the Celtics because the Celtics had all these uh, draft picks from Brooklyn, and I'm I'm sure Chicago's dra- draft capital is not anywhere as near as good. But they have the fourth overall pick. I mean, besides their own pick, I mean. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. They don't. They don't have the the same kind of assets from that perspective. But they could certainly build that if they do decide to move and, on from a player like Zach. And Levine. like and like I said before, it's an attractive location where it's you got the history of everything with the Bulls, and Chicago is a one of the biggest cities in the in the country. So I would. It's, I'm, I think I'm still going to stick with New Orleans one, just because of all the talent there, and then Chicago two, Indiana three. Uh, Brooklyn four, Philly five. So we're we're gonna have to agree to disagree. We're like almost yeah, backwards. exactly. So. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I don't I don't really know who to expect as the big names. Um, I I kind of hope that we get some some fresh, you know, some of the top assistant coaches end up landing some of these jobs, and it's not just a recycle of failed player failed coaches. But uh, you know, it should be should be interesting to see uh, who ends up coaching these teams in the 2020-21 season. All right, so with that, I think we've been talking enough basketball. Let's uh, let's turn it over and you know just wrap things up by talking about some other sports. And uh, you know we we talked about it at the beginning of the show. Uh, we have some huge news in a sport that we don't really talk about too much, but it's big enough that I think we at least gotta touch on it. And that is Lionel Messi, the star striker for Barcelona. A club he's played for since 2004, and we're talking uh, a guy who is arguably the best in the world right now, and uh, even possibly the greatest to ever play the game. Uh, he wants out. He wants to go to a different team, and you know, naturally, this is going to be gigantic news uh, where anyone will want to bring in Lionel Messi, six-time Ballon d'Or winner. 
So let's kind of talk about this because, you know, as, as much as I like to think everyone knows who Lionel Messi is, like obviously you know who Messi is. You're not a huge soccer fan, but you're a big Messi fan, right? Yeah, I'm, Barcelona I'm, a, because of Messi. yeah I'm a big Barcelona fan. When I was when I was like 10 or 11 years old, my aunt gave, got me a Barcelona jersey. And it wasn't Messi, it was, but it was the same number. It was Ronaldinho who wore number 10 for Barcelona before Messi was there and that alone <laughs> it's it's super bandwagon of course like I'm not like a real Barcelona fan or anything or a real soccer fan at all but I slightly have a bias towards that team and I'll admit it's just because of that and it made me pay attention a little bit to that team and then in Spain during the World Cup because a lot of the players from Barcelona of course play for the na- the Spain national uh, soccer team during the World Cup so I mean, can you speak to why Messi would want out of Barcelona? I'll admit, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Okay, exactly. so you're not really no, a Barcelona I'm not, fan. Uh, exactly, okay. yeah. I'm not going to act like I'm a <laughs> Barcelona fan, no. Yeah, so I, I think that there there have been a lot of comparisons that I'm, I'm trying to see, like, how how do I even talk about this for someone who who doesn't know much about Lionel Messi, much about soccer, you know, much about Barcelona? Um I think the best that I've I've seen would be basically okay. We'll say Michael Jordan. We'll say that you know Messi. He he's the the greatest ever. Uh, Tom in my Brady. Opinion. <laughs> well, okay, you can say Tom Brady as well. Sure, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan. Think a player of that caliber. But I think Michael Jordan, um, specifically because there were problems with the Bulls front office. Uh, would you know if you've seen the Last Dance? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure most people listening to this have. If you haven't. You should watch it. You know, it's it's ten episodes. Go get it started. Find ten hours and get through it. It's a phenomenal series, uh, breaking down the the ninety eight Bulls and really what led to Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan and what led to that team being so great. Um, they talk a lot about how Jerry Krause wanted to break up that team. He wanted to move on from Phil Jackson and was willing to let Michael Jordan go if that's what it meant to you know bring in his own coach. And it feels like it's a very similar situation in Barcelona with their president, Josep Marie Bartomo. I apologize if I mess up the pronunciation on that. Uh, but he uh, he said he's willing to resign from the job if that's what it'll take to keep Messi in Barcelona. But it just feels like uh, it's not going to happen at this point. Uh Messi wants out. The team has struggled for the past few years, you know, despite how great they are. Uh, all culminated with an 8-2 loss to Bayern Munich in the uh, UEFA Champions League quarterfinals last week. Did you watch that game? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So my roommate's a big obviously, Barcelona I'm not, fan. I'm, I didn't actually watch it, but I kept yeah, up Yeah, obviously it. I'm not a real soccer fan or Barcelona fan. I'm just, I have a small personal bias from when I was younger and I wore the jersey that I was given for a, a few times. Yeah. But okay. other than that, like not much uh, connection to the, the sport or the team. Okay. So I guess regardless, this would be like if, so you take that Michael Jordan situation with the Bulls, but instead of winning two titles in his last two seasons, the Bulls lose to the Jazz in the NBA Finals. And then the following year, they like lose in like the, the Eastern Conference Finals to Indiana. And then Jordan's like, all right, I want out. Um, I think that's that's kind of what the equivalent is when you talk about a player of Messi's caliber. Like the team, it, it's just been so frustrating for him in terms of them getting rid of their uh, their manager, uh, and you know they recently fired the guy that they brought in. But 
Uh, I think it was kind of controversial bringing him in anyway. Uh, and, you know, just a lot of poor decisions to, to get to this point where, where Messi's going to leave you know, one of the top organizations in the Spanish La League. Well, the reason why I brought up Tom Brady was because he literally did leave for a different team. And even though they were winning for the past several years, there were a lot of talks about Brady's frustrations with with the Bel- with Belichick, but also with how the rest of the roster looked. Now, I'm not saying I don't know if that's Messi's yeah. reasoning for leaving, but I mean, they both have frustrations with their current the current situation, or their or Tom Brady's past situation, and they decided to leave. Or just yeah, leave. I mean, honestly, like I was kind of dismissing the thought of Brady just because Brady's what 40, 42, 43 leaving whereas um Messi's 33. Yeah, you know, Messi's 33, but yeah, I mean if if you kind of take Brady's career accomplishments and just, you know, rewind a bit in in his age, then yeah, I mean that that's the same kind of thing here. Uh so it's it's just unreal kind of to think that Messi who's played for this team for so long. I mean, they've won 10 La Liga titles in what 16 years that he's been there. They didn't win this year, but they won it in 2018-19. Uh, he's six Copa del Reyes, which is uh, you know the the Spanish version of England's FA Cup, where it's just every team gets to compete in a big tournament. And Barcelona's won that six times in his sixteen years, and they've won four UEFA Champions League titles. I mean, best team in all of Europe. So he's he's accomplished so much to the point where it is rivaling Michael Jordan and Tom Brady in terms of their respective sports. And when you look at Lionel Messi it's it's kind of incredible to think that Barcelona would just find a way to botch this but here we are so it seems like Manchester City is the favorite to land them how do you feel about that I mean I don't know I mean I don't, again I don't pay attention do you have a Premier League team no <laughs> okay because if I did have to pick a Premier League team it would be Manchester City and that's because when we were younger Manchester United won it seemed like every Wait, single before, year before you go was in manchester so, is manchester city the team that they were like and in terms of betting odds they were like way last but they ended up finishing surprising the entire world no less oh Leicester city, city. <laughs> yeah no yeah that's manchester city is a team that just kind of came out of nowhere to become an elite powerhouse and a lot of that is kind of questionable where they got all their money from to be able to do that um they actually were banned from the champions league for two years a decision that was recently reversed but i mean manchester city i i don't think messi would go there if he didn't have that opportunity um they they didn't win the premier league this year liverpool of course dominated but city's won the premier league a lot in the uh the most recent years and like i said they're they're my team because i found out there was a second manchester to rival united so i started doing it for city even though like you with barcelona i'm not actually a city fan um i personally would have loved to see if um the MLS could find a way to get oh, Messi God. to join. Yeah, kind of similar to um, how they Ibrahimovic, got David to come to rem- the Galaxy. Remember when he? Okay, yeah, you just said that right. And Ibrahim Ibrahimovic. He was just went there, to. Yeah. Is he? St- he's still on the LA Galaxy. No, I think he retired. Okay, but like it could be. You're thinking that if there was any way that MLS could do it to bring him in for a team, that would it'd be great. But I highly doubt someone that good uh, with his skill set in the game would ever come to the MLS given how much we care about soccer in this country 
Well, at yeah, I mean, that's the thing is at his age, I don't think so. But if he does go to New York City, there's some thought that his contract would actually pave way for him to go to New York City FC after three years playing for Manchester City. So he would end up in the MLS at that point in, you know, 2023, I guess, at 36 years old. Uh, so that would be pretty cool. I th- I was kind of thinking that, you know, maybe David Beckham, he owns Miami now they they have a new franchise he could say hey look what i was able to do come play for me and you'll get to own your own franchise in 10 years um i mean it it would be awesome for the u.s to be an international type competitor in soccer not just a a team that doesn't even make the group stage in the world cup yeah that's how much yeah i mean i'm not asking us to be as dominant as the women's team at men's soccer but you know at least be consistent enough to make the world cup every year and you know maybe have a shot at winning it and i think that Lionel messi coming to the mls could potentially spark that but we've seen so many great players you know between you know david beckham zlatan ibrahimovic and you know, Frank Lampard, David Villa, like all these other guys have come and joined the MLS over the years and that's barely changed anything. So I don't know that Messi would fully do that, but, uh, you know, the idea of him playing the MLS does sound pretty awesome. So uh, Manchester City seems to be the favorite coached by Pep Guardiola, who was his manager at Barcelona from 2008 to 2012. Everything does seem to match up pretty well for that. So we'll see if it happens. Um, I think that one of the big questions right now in terms of Messi leaving is that he thinks that he's free from his contract um, because of a clause he has where he's able to just walk out. But there's a June 10th deadline, which has already passed. Although in a normal year, the Champions League would be over in like late May, early June. So we would be you know, on that June 10th track based on where, where Barcelona's season is. Um, but we'll we'll see how that ends up playing out. I think it would be cool to see Messi go to a different team, just try to mix it up. You just had Cristiano Ronaldo leave uh, Real Madrid who, to go to Juventus who, and who's the, Italy. Who's the guy on? He also played for Barcelona. Uh, Neymar. Neymar. That's it. Thank you, Neymar. Yeah, he, Neymar he, left to go to PSG, Paris, Saint Germain, and France. So you know, all these these great guys leaving Spain and is going to to different leagues in in Europe. I I think it would be interesting to see him leave, especially if he goes to the Premier League because you know, while the Premier League maybe doesn't always have the the best number 1 team in the world, uh it's it's certainly the number 1 most uh watched, you know, b- biggest b- yeah, most watched and you know, I I I assume in the whole world, definitely in the US. So, uh, I think it would be it would be much more fun to see Messi playing in the Premier League than it would seeing him in La Liga, where I know El Clasico is on every you know few months whenever that happens. But I don't, I can't think of other times where I've seen Spanish league soccer on U.S. television, whereas Premier League's on NBC Sports every single Saturday. So I don't, as long as he doesn't go to the MLS, <laughs> I mean, if he goes to the MLS, See, he should what? be he, he should be like at the back end of literally like the 18th hole of his career when he's like 39 40 years old and he's barely hanging on all right well he's gonna go there when he's 36 when he leaves manchester city exactly city. yeah something like that and he'll still have five years left of playing soccer at an elite level thing is 36 year old messi even if he's not a great player in the premier league la liga can't compete in that level he'd still be the best player in the mls so which would help which would be even more which would be more reason to go 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which I mean, that's why they call it the retire the retirement league because these guys can't compete at the the level in Europe, so they go to the MLS and continue to dominate for a few more years. Like, I don't know what would the equivalent of that being? Just like LeBron when he's forty three years old decides. All Stephon right, I don't Marbury be the going to China on a team. I'm gonna go. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking the G League oh. <laughs> would be, but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I guess leaving the the U.S. entirely would still play in professional. Like going in, in the Euro League, the reverse Luka Doncic, just go be MVP of that at forty two years old. All right, uh, so that that'll that'll wrap things up for today's episode. Uh, MLB trade deadline August thirty first Monday. Probably a lot of people listening on uh, August thirty first. Haven't been a whole lot of big moves. Uh, I turned on Twitter notifications for Jeff Passan, and it doesn't look like there's been any big deals uh, since we started recording. Uh, sounds like Jason Castro to the Padres catcher, but um, there, so there, Jeff Passan. Uh, I heard that it wasn't a trade deadline news, but apparently MLB is thinking about when the regular season is over that for the playoffs they're going to do the bubble thing whatever what they've been talks about doing in texas maybe or florida or california or, or wherever but they've talked about doing yeah, the bubble I've seen that. uh doing bubble games like the nhl and nba have i think that would be a good idea for them to do that i've heard the nfl is also talking about bubble um but i guess before we get to the playoffs and the trade deadline um so there haven't been any big moves to this point. It doesn't look like anything's happened since we started recording. But there are a lot of rumors about Indians starting pitcher Mike Clevenger. Uh, he has been in the news along with Zach Plezak. Uh, the two of them went out in Chicago, uh, you know, breaking all the quarantine rules and basically putting themselves, the team, and all of Major League Baseball in jeopardy. So it's uh, really soured himself um among his teammates in Cleveland. So it sounds like there's a really good chance he'll get traded. What are your thoughts on that? Where do you think he's going? Not the Red Sox. <laughs> um, no, definitely. I don't, I don't think the Red Sox will, will make him. What about the guys? Yankees? Cause I got, he's being linked to the after, Yankees. After yeah, Garrett I, Cole, I mean, their rotation is fine, I guess, but that's a team that can legitimately win the world series. And, They've been knocking on the door the past few years, and I mean, look at what the Nationals did last year. They, the primary reason why they won was because of who they had in their starting rotation. They had Scherzer and Strasburg, uh, and Corbin at times, leading their carrying the the team. Uh, just having yep. aces like that in your rotation is massive in baseball. Yeah, so I would. So I'm gonna oh, say yeah. Yankees. So- I think there are a few teams that are in, in that situation where they they have solid starting rotations but could certainly send upgrade. You know, flipping it to the National League powerhouse, the Los Angeles Dodgers, that would be interesting if they're able to add Clevenger. Um, they'd probably have to give up Dustin May, who is you know one of their, their top rookies, but I would think that he's worth it. The team hasn't won a World Series in 32 years. They're the most talented in the league. They need to give up whatever they can. Uh, in order to acquire, you know, the the talent they need to get that that World Series trophy. Um, one interesting trade discussion that I've seen is the Chicago White Sox, and I 
can't think of the last time that there has been a huge Major League Baseball trade deadline trade involving two teams not only competing for a playoff spot in the same league, but in the same division. (laughs) Yeah. So that would be super interesting. And like one of the the rumors that was going out was Zach Levenger for Michael Kopech. You remember yeah, him, he, former they Red traded Sox it, top they prospect? Traded him for Chris Sale. I mean, he obviously wasn't the only part of that deal. There was Yoan Moncada No, it was as him well. and Yoan Moncada. Yeah. I think that, that would be crazy if that happens, if Cleveland gives Chicago Clevenger uh, and the White Sox in exchange give Michael Kopech, who he was their – he was the number 13 prospect in all of baseball when he was called up in 2018. He had Tommy John surgery, sat out of the, the you know, this season. Um, I mean, Cleveland's become famous for being able to just pump out all these, like, phenomenal starting pitchers uh, out of their farm system and, you know, develop them. So I, I think it, it would be a crazy move if Chicago gives up Kopech sends him to a division rival and Cleveland does the flip side with with Clevenger just to see how that works out not only in the short term but especially in the long term I Uh, I don't think it's going to happen I always like the I always side with the proven veteran guy who over the the unproven rookie that has oh I agree that's why I think the Dodgers should make I mean just remember when Clay Buckholtz was in was linked to trades to the Toronto in their division with for Roy Halladay and obviously a package deal like not just Buckholtz but I always wanted that to happen because yeah. Roy Halladay was an ace and a future Hall of Famer and Buckholtz was this unproven guy who threw a new header but like what else has he done and I wish that deal happened but it didn't yeah yeah I mean it, it's always interesting whenever you see division trades like that but I, I think that this would be an unprecedented one because both teams are very much in the middle of the AL Central race and uh, both believe that they can make the playoffs this year so we'll see I'm going to go ahead and predict Clevenger will be a Los Angeles Dodger by the time you're listening to this podcast Brian's saying he's going to be a Yankee yep. so I mean not, all right and um, I mean I'm predicting the Yankees if, are going to win it all literally just because well one because they are good enough to win but two because this year cannot possibly get any worse and what could yeah. be worse than everything that's going on? The Yankees winning the World Series. The Yankees winning the World Series. the cherry on yeah. top of everything. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going Clevenger to the Dodgers, and they're going to win the World Series. So, all right. Um, that'll wrap things up for today. So, for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.